Hi, I'm Carol Pope, and you're listening to The Stewie Tunes Show with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. Can you believe it? We're on season three already, and there's some big changes afoot here at The Stewie Tunes Show. Of course, the biggest one is my new co-host, Aaron Badgley, who you may have met in season two. I'm really excited to be able to work with Aaron and looking forward to an excellent season. We've got some great ideas for you. But today, since Aaron is such a big fan, we're going to do something special. Here are 10 things you should know about... The Beatles! Welcome to the Stewie Tune Show. These are insights and commentary on the music and musicians that shape our lives. And now, let's go back to class with your hosts, Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. Well, Aaron, we're finally here and uh, Season 3, Episode 1, and I'm so glad that you uh, joined me as co-host. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've uh, been looking forward to this for the last two months, so yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be great. And you know, it's uh, it does feel like it's been a long time because we knew for a while before we announced it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, for those of you who are listening, I mean, we've been uh, brainstorming back and forth just about every day, and uh, we've got a great season for you. And uh, actually, we've got probably enough ideas for two seasons at least, but uh, we'll concentrate on the first one for now. So our first two episodes are going to be what are called 10 Things You Should Know About Episodes. And um, I was talking to, to you about this. Uh, we're going to, you know, do the first one on the Beatles because... Uh, we're both big fans, but uh, actually, you know a lot more about the Beatles than I do. I am quickly discovering, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, and the second one will be on, uh, I think, my biggest influence uh, is uh, Billy Joel. I am just a huge fanboy. So uh, when we record that episode, Aaron, I got to warn you, I'm going to have a really hard time being objective there because I'm a big fanboy. So. Well, you know what? I'm having a hard time being objective when we're talking about the Fab Four. So that's fair. Fair, fair. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, our first two episodes then, 10 things you should know about the Beatles today and next uh, next episode, 10 things you should know about Billy Joel. And then our third episode looks like we're going to have Walter DeBar in and uh, you know Walter uh, better than I do, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Walter? Well, Walter is a, an independent musician based in West Virginia and uh, he's remarkably talented. If you haven't heard him yet, go to Spotify, type in Walter DeBar. His music is unlike anything else you're going to hear. He's got the most remarkable vocal stylings. Oh, for sure. Right? <laughs> that, that, that voice is so distinct. Oh, man. And um, he's, a, he's a very super nice guy. And B, uh, I'm warning everyone now, he's going to talk. And everything he says is literally gold. So enjoy. Yeah, I can't wait to that one, actually. And uh, our guests uh, for this season are going to be more like co-hosts. We're going to do uh, roundtable discussions. So I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what Walter wants to talk about. So shall we uh, get this thing started? It's tr- Yes. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do 10 things that we think you should know about the Beatles. And I will get it started. Um, so the Beatles have a connection to the punk band the Ramones. And here is the connection. When Paul McCartney used to check into hotels, he would use the pseudonym Paul Ramone. And of course, that's what inspired the punk band uh, to take that name. And um, another interesting fact that I found, and this was great, uh, Spin Magazine in 2002 
named the Ramones their second best band of all time behind you-know-who, the Beatles. So that's a pretty interesting fact for our first one. And you know, and interesting to, to tag on to that, Tony, if you take the, if you take the name Paul Ramone, and for, for Beatle fans who know the, the album by Paul McCartney called Ram, there's a song on Ram called Ram On. And that's where McCartney got Ramon, you see. Oh, really? Well, Ramon, Ramon yeah. became one word. So there's a, a couple of things there. I mean, he also used the name back in the 50s when the Beatles thought they should have stage names. But later on, he came, he, he came up with Ramon from Ramon. So. Yeah, and and actually, for those who are listening, uh, when he signed into the hotels, he would use he would spell Ramon R A M O N, no E. But uh, the band later on uh, they uh, put the E in there. All right, I'll turn it over to you. So, uh, what have you got for us? Well, recently, uh, Rolling Stone magazine has come out with their top five hundred albums of all time, and up until this year, number one was always Sgt. Pepper. Yes, it's not Sgt. Pepper this year, but. I'm going to talk about Sgt. Pepper for a brief second because it was a landmark album for many reasons. One of the reasons was, one like many reasons, but one was, and this may surprise you, Tony, it was the first album ever to give out lyrics uh, with the album. Up until then, if you wanted to find the lyrics to an album, you were forced to buy the um, the sheet music, you know, if that came out. And publishers liked it that way because I would guarantee sales of sheet music for people who wanted to find out what exactly they were saying. So... Pepper was the first album to have the lyrics printed on the back of the album cover and given it to fans. Wow. Um, and you know, I'm going to sidetrack for a minute here about that Rolling Stone. Cause I, I was just reading about that today and mm-hmm. uh, Marv, Marvin Gaye took over the number one spot, didn't he? He did indeed. Yeah. In fact, the Beatles, I think the highest they placed was revolver at four, which yeah, surprised and, me, but you know, I'm I remember, biased. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, a lot of people thought Revolver was probably the better album of the two, but for sure, Pepper was the more influential, I think. But uh, so your thoughts, where did, uh, do you know where Sergeant Pepper ended up? It was like not even top 10, was it? Oh, no, I think it was 24. I think yeah, it dropped down to 24. Huge drop. Yeah, big drop. I'm not sure that I agree with that, but interesting. Uh, I don't agree with it at all. And, and um, you know, and that's nothing against Marvin Gaye because I own the album What's Going On. It's a classic, classic album. But I can think of other Motown albums, Songs of the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder. Oh, for sure. That had a bigger impact. I mean, maybe socially and politically, the lyrics on What's Going On, but I mean, Songs in the Key of Life, That's a that, that was a monumental album for those of us around in, what, 76 when it came out. Yeah, incredible album. That's one of my favorites. I, I think we should do uh, an episode uh, on that album, actually, in the future sometime. That would be fantastic. Well, I think I was telling you, I was I just bought a used copy, and it came in for <laughs> <40. laughs> I was so happy because it had the EP in it with the four tracks and the uh, the lyric, the booklet, you know? And it was in good shape, too? or Mint. It's like... that. That's crazy. I know. Did anyone ever listen to this album? But... <laughs> hey. Well, good for you. Their loss is my gain. Well, exactly. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to move on here with another uh, Beatles fact that uh, we think you should know. So anybody out there who watched uh, Ringo's 80th birthday special will uh, have noticed that uh, Ringo basically co-hosted that with Joe Walsh. And um, there's a good reason for that. You know, in the era of social distancing, obviously uh, people couldn't uh, hang out with Ringo in person, but Joe Walsh could. And uh because Joe Walsh is part of Ringo's uh, bubble and uh, they're brothers-in-law. And that just came out a few years ago. Like it wasn't real common knowledge, but uh, 
Ringo married Barbara Bach and uh, Joe Walsh married Marjorie Bach. So that's the connection there. They're related, brothers-in-law and best of friends too, supposedly. So uh, I, I keep uh, seeing uh, Joe pumping Ringo's tires all the time, you know, and vice versa. Well, you know, Ringo was the first Beatle I ever saw live. And I saw him in Toronto in 1989. And Joe Walsh was part of the All-Star Band. And let me tell you, those two just, I mean, I don't know if they were brothers-in-laws then, brothers-in-law, but it was, uh, the two of them playing together was was uh, quite magical. Yeah, it's amazing. And, um, you know, I uh, I didn't know that up until recently about them, actually, about them being related like that. But uh, Have you seen his wife? Yes. She looks just like Barbara Bach. I mean, they're almost, I don't know if they're twins, but they could be. Yeah, they look, uh, they're so similar looking, uh, but that's a, a cool little fact. All right, what do you got for us? Let's go on to the fourth thing that maybe people should know. Well, you just brought up Ringo Starr and, and Joe Walsh. What about George Harrison and Mick Fleetwood? Uh, <laughs> Fleetwood, not Fleetwood Mac, Mick Fleetwood. So uh, George was married, his first wife was Patty. Her sister, Jenny, was married to Mick Fleetwood for most of the 70s. So for... The majority of the 1970s, George Harrison and Mick Fleetwood would be in their own bubble as well because they were brothers-in-law as well. I mean, um, and not, I don't know that anyone can ever kind of connect the dots to that, but that would be a, a fun little family reunion, wouldn't it? <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Got the all-star band right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, and Mick Fleetwood and Harrison... Um, were really good friends. And I don't know that people know that fact either, but when Mick Fleetwood did his first solo album, uh, George Harrison played guitar on it. So there you go. Oh, wow. And you know what, Aaron, I've got uh, I've got good news for you because I know uh, before the show you were mentioning you were nervous, you know, uh, getting behind the mic here for the for the show. But Yes, uh, I was, yeah. Yeah. The good news is I was a little nervous too, you know, because gaining a co-host, it's fabulous, by the way. Um, <laughs> but the good news is uh, we're coming to the end of our first segment. So I think it's about time for a break. What do you think? I can get some water. Yeah, let's do that. So we're going to go on to our music history moment. And we've got, of course, a little history moment about the Beatles. So we'll go to that now and we'll be right back. Today, we're going back in the time machine all the way to October 5th, 1962. The Beatles' debut single, Love Me Do, was released in the UK on this date. The song was written back in 1959 by Paul McCartney, with John Lennon contributing the middle eight. It spent 26 weeks on the chart and peaked at number 17. According to Beatles producer George Martin, the day that Love Me Do was released was the day that the world changed forever. And now, let's get back to the show. And we're back from the music history moment. And uh, Aaron, you had mentioned during break that you wanted to uh, add some things to that about uh, Love Me Do. So uh, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to add that. Um, did you know there's two versions of Love Me Do? I did not. So the first version was recorded September 4th, 1962 and featured Ringo on drums. Keeping in mind that Ringo had just joined the Beatles at this point. Um, George Martin wasn't entirely happy with that take for whatever reason. So the, a week later, he hired a session guy named Andy White, who played the drums on Love Me Do. Ringo played tambourine. Now, here's oh. where it gets really confusing. The version with Ringo on drums came out in only two places in the world. The first pressing of the single in England 
and it came out on the first pressing of the single in Canada. In oh, wow. 1963, 170 copies were sold in Canada. <laughs> I have one, just saying. So, yeah, so so Love Me Do, the one you hear most on the radio and the one you have in your collection, I guarantee you, has Andy White on drums. And as a, a bit of a joke, in 1998, Ringo did an album called Vertical Man, where he redid Love Me Do with Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. And uh, Ringo played the drums. Oh, so he finally got to play the drums on that track. <laughs> Now, I'm assuming on the Canadian pressing, then, Andy White didn't get a, a credit for that, did he? Like, it wasn't no. actually listed? No. No, no. And, it's, and you know what, folks? Go and check your record collections, because if you can find Love Me Do on Canadian Capitol Records, it's one of the rarest Beatle records you're going to find. So, All right, and I'm going to, uh, we're going to move on uh, to another uh, four facts about the Beatles that we think you should know before we introduce our second segment of the show. And this one, I've... Uh, you know, I've always read and you hear interviews from guys uh, when rock and roll first became a thing. And, and you know, most most people, in all honesty, picked up a guitar because they realized they could impress girls. And and that seems to be a pretty common thread. And uh, Paul McCartney was no different. And this is a little story about uh, Michelle. So supposedly uh, Michelle was inspired by Paul's attempts to pick up girls at parties. Uh, from what I was reading, uh, he was very shy, but he figured out that um, if he sat in the corner and pulled his guitar out and kind of sang even fake French lyrics, he started, um, you know, getting noticed by the girls. And, uh, you know, I find it hard to believe that Paul was shy, but but you never know. And uh, But he started to uh, get the attention of girls. And uh, John Lennon said to him, you know, you should write a song the way you do that thing in the corner. You should write some kind of French song. And so that's where Michelle was born. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture... I'm trying to picture Paul McCartney having a hard time uh, talking to, to anybody. Like, forget just girls. I am too. I am too. But I mean, uh, that's a great little story. Isn't that fantastic? And and, yeah. and and the French in that song, I think, is kind of very basic French, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Super basic. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, you know, you know, but. Yeah, I, I still think it's a it's a great little story. It's a fantastic to picture Paul McCartney being too shy to approach anybody. But hey, people yeah, change, I guess. Same here. Yeah, for sure. All right, what do you got for well, your next so I, one? I mentioned that Ringo didn't play drums on "Love Me Do." I got a question for you, Tony. Do you know? Yes. Do you know the only Beatles song where not one Beatle plays an instrument? Well, I think I do, but I don't want to give it away. So I'm going to let you announce that because I, I can guess because I can hear it in my head and I can hear the orchestra. That's a huge hint to the audience, by the way. So. <laughs> it's Eleanor Rigby. Was that what you were going to say? Yes. Now, now, the interesting fact about Eleanor Rigby is that they sing on the song, of course, Paul's lead and George and John doing backing. Do you know the violins in that song? You know, the, the very distinct violins of Eleanor Rigby. Do you know what the inspiration was behind that? I don't. No. So what was that? Psycho. Oh, really? The movie Psycho. Yeah, the, hmm. the you know the uh, yeah, but <laughs> McCartney liked the sound of the uh, piercing violins in the movie Psycho. Bernard Herrmann, who wrote that, mm-hmm. and George Martin transferred it into a Beatles song, which I you know I always found Eleanor Rigby slightly creepy, and I wonder if that's why. Yeah, it could be. You know. Um, on a side note, I actually read the novel, the original novel last year, Psycho. Did you, you really? Remember? Yes. 
and it is not it is it is not a well written novel. I mean, really? the movie, yeah, the movie was far far better than the novel was. It's, I've never read the novel, really. It, yeah, it it reads like it like a high school English class project. Like it's it's just not not well written at all. But uh, obviously, uh, you know, there was a kernel there that uh, Hitchcock thought would make a great movie. So um, I had a question for you about Eleanor Rigby. Um, so the name Eleanor Rigby was that was that based on the tombstone somewhere that like do you know that? So there's two. The story that McCartney always gave was that he get he got the word Eleanor from Eleanor Braun, who was in Help with them. If you remember the movie Help, Eleanor Braun yeah. was the woman, the actress. Rigby, he said, came from a name of a store in London, Rigby Antiques, which does exist or did exist in '66. But I wonder because John and Paul used to hang out in that cemetery, and I don't. I'm I'm curious if maybe. You know, subconsciously, or you know, something was there that twigged. Because the original, you know, what the original it wasn't Eleanor Rigby, but you know, in the song, it's Father McKenzie. Mm-hmm. You know, the, originally it was going to be Father McCartney. Oh, and John said, oh, "I don't think that's a good idea, Paul." <laughs> <laughs> so change it to Father McKenzie. But uh, I, I, I don't know. There is that famous tombstone, right? Yeah. So I've always wondered about that. Well. well that- you know what? That's something that we can find out and maybe let listeners know on a future but, show. But have you, have you, you've seen the uh, Beatles anthology, right? Yes. Do you remember that part where they're talking about meeting Elvis? Mm-hmm. And George has one memory. He goes, well, I think we came in and Elvis was sitting there. And then Ringo says, well, no, I think he came in and we were sitting. And they all had different memories of meeting Elvis. Memories do funny things, I guess, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, that would be a, an interesting thing to dig a little more about. Absolutely. So, so I've got one here. Um, you were talking about the, you know, the only song that none of the Beatles played on. Uh, but for our listeners here now, uh, the only person to get a featured credit on a Beatles song, and I think you know this one, but uh, that is Billy Preston, the keyboard player. And he got, uh, in April 1969, he got credit for his work on Get Back, because that is such an important keyboard part. So uh, it's credited to the Beatles with Billy Preston. And uh, I love Billy Preston's music. I, I'm a big fan. Me too. Uh, and in fact, one of my go-to, you know, videos that I like to watch just to, just to feel good is uh, from the concert for George back in November 2002, after George Harrison passed away. Um his version, uh, Billy Preston singing My Sweet Lord. Have you seen that? Oh, several times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I watch that one all the time. I mean, I just find that is the, it's just a feel good track. And, and, uh, you know, Danny Harrison, his son, I mean, my gosh, there's no doubt who his father is. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, (laughs) and just seeing that, you know, the sheer joy on Eric Clapton's face too, uh, you know, that it's just a fabulous track and Billy Preston, um, does such justice to that song. Just unbelievable. So anybody who's listening, you know, look that up. It's uh, Billy Preston singing My Sweet Lord uh, in the concert for George from November 2002. What a fantastic show that was. Preston Preston always, you know, he just had such um, a spiritual happiness about him when you watch him live. I mean, I agree with you. The My Sweet Lord is brilliant. And, and any clip of him is just I, I wish I I actually did see him live. So, but you know, oh, I wish I'd seen him. He was part of the Ringo Starr um, All Star Band. But I, I I love Billy Preston. So I totally I'm with you on this one. 100%. Now, 
didn't uh, didn't one of the Beatles want to make uh, Preston a full time member? Was that did I George. read that? Yeah, George yeah, yeah. did, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and John and, John nixed that. John yeah, said, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's yeah. too bad. That would have been interesting for sure. But you know, he 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 signed and did two albums on Apple, the Beatles record company. Okay. Which are, you know what, if you can seek them out, find them, folks, because they're quite good. Yeah, Billy Preston uh, was amazing. All right, I'm going to turn it back over to you, and uh, we're going to get another fact here. Let's uh, let's find out what you got. People find this kind of surprising in this day and age, and I, I'm going to backtrack a bit. In the 60s, there was mono recordings and stereo, mono record stereo. Mono meaning it's just coming out of one speaker, and stereo meaning two speakers. We all know stereo these days because we have the headphones on. But the Beatles spent more time mixing Sgt. Pepper and the White Album for mono than they did in stereo. And in fact, they didn't even turn up for the mix of one of those two. I think it was the White Album. No one turned up for the stereo mix of that album. They wanted to mix it for mono. And if, if, if you know, if you can go out there and find the mono versions of both of those albums and compare them, they're, they're vastly different. And in my own humble opinion, better. Yeah, especially if they were originally intended for mono. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, it's hard to imagine an album like Pepper being done in mono. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird one. And it, and when you listen to it in mono, Tony, you're going to hear stuff that you've never heard in the stereo version. And I, and it, I'll just leave it at that. There's a Harrison's guitar work in the reprise. Oh my gosh. It's worth, worth digging it up. Wow. Well, you know what? Uh, I think this is a, a fantastic time to take our second break. What do you think? So we're going to talk about uh, some famous birthdays today. So let's take our second break and we'll be right back. Well, today we're celebrating four notable musical birthdays. Richard Street was born in 1942. Street was a member of The Temptations and had a number one hit with Just My Imagination in 1971. Steve Miller was born in 1943. Of course, we remember him for his number one hit, The Joker. Brian Johnson of ACDC was born in 1947. He joined the band in 1980 and they tore up the charts with Back in Black. That album has sold at least 49 million copies. And finally, Bob Geldof of Live Aid fame was born in 1951. I've got to tell you, uh, for those who don't know how podcasts are recorded, because we're pandemic here, uh, Aaron and I have only actually met over Zoom. You know, I had you on twice during season two. We've talked a lot by Zoom meetings and stuff, but we've never met in person. So I'm looking forward to that. And we found out that each of us has relatives who live close to the other one. So, I mean, you live five minutes from my brother. So next time I'm there, we'll, we'll go for coffee. And uh, you've got a brother in Campville, you said, which I is do, yeah. yeah half an hour from me. So that's perfect. But uh, the behind the scenes here, for those who don't know, you know, I'm looking at... Um, a split screen and I've got uh, zoom on one side for the video. So Aaron and I can see each other and we're not tripping over each other. <laughs> and, uh, and we've got our mics muted in zoom. And then we're using something called Zencaster uh, on the other side for the audio. So it's pretty neat looking at a split screen and uh, it seems to be working well, Aaron. I like this uh, format. I do too. And I, I, and, and I do look forward to meeting you in person one day. That would be awfully nice, you know? Yes, it would be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I have a kind of a creepy uh, connection uh, or fact about the Beatles, and this one is uh, Charles Manson. Uh, he had a connection to the Beatles. Um, and this one I, I always find so disturbing to read about, you know, the whole, because just because of the whole Sharon Tate killings and uh, the killing. And um, so Charles Manson uh, was convinced 
convinced that Helter Skelter had subliminal messaging. And uh, that song led him to encourage his followers to commit the murder of uh, Sharon Tate and all the other occupants of that house. Um, But he, you know, supposedly poured over the White Album backwards and forwards. And he was convinced that uh, there was subliminal messaging in there. And he was also convinced uh, you know, that it was encouraging him to start a, a race war. Uh, and in fact, at the scene of the crime, I mean, they had written Helter Skelter uh, at the scene of the crime, amongst other things. But it was, a, it was a horrific tragedy, what happened to Sharon Tate and the other people in that house. But mm-hmm. uh, that connection to the Beatles, and, and I know, uh, you know, reading uh, interviews uh, with uh, members of the Beatles, I mean, they were greatly disturbed by that as well, because they they certainly didn't want to be associated with that type of thing. But uh, yeah, there's a connection there between uh, Charles Manson and the Beatles. I always liked, I don't know if you know the album by U2, Rattle and Hum. Yes. But uh, they cover Helter Skelter and they, and they do a live version. And what I love what Bono says at the beginning, which is this song was stolen by Charles Manson. Well, we're stealing it back. And I always thought oh, that cool. was a very powerful statement, you know? Yeah, very for powerful. sure. Because what a what a horrific thing to have your uh, your music attached to, but um, you know that one. Like I said, I just I don't even like reading about that or anything. But uh, that's that's another uh, fact about the Beatles. All right, and looks like you've got the uh, the final one here for today's episode. So well, I, I think maybe we should end on a on a, a happy note. Um, yes, I and, think so. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we should. <laughs> um, Ringo Starr, real name is Richard Starkey. Um, here's a question or. People will say, well, he got his name because he wears rings, you know, Ringo rings. Partially true. He actually got the name Ringo Starr because he loved um, cowboy films and he wanted to be a country and Western singer. He, at one point, he had applied to move to America when he was like 18 um, and work in America because he loved the whole American cowboy and country and Western. And he thought Ringo, uh, you know, the song by Lauren Green, Ringo. Um, was very country and western. And then Star came from Starkey, shortened. He added the second R because, quote, that was pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Which totally, that sounds like a Ringo thing to do. (laughs) Yes, it's totally Ringo. But so, yes, he did wear rings and all that, but really it stems from his love of country and western and and American westerns. So that's kind of cool, I think. And so there you have it, folks. Those are 10 things that we thought you should know about the Beatles. Obviously, we could do another two, three, four episodes like this. There are so many things. But, uh, you know, hundreds of books and courses on these guys, right? So, yeah. And, you know, maybe next season in season four, we could do another one of these and uh, 10 more things you should know about the Beatles. But uh, we're going to (laughs) be introducing a segment next week because next week's show is not about the Beatles, it's about Billy Joel. But, um, we're going to be having a segment uh, because, you know, as uh, we, Aaron and I talk about, uh, we talk about, it seems like all roads lead back to the Beatles eventually, you know, if you, if you really look. And uh, so we're going to have a segment next week called Six Degrees of Beatlemania. And uh, we're going to have some new music uh, written by my good friend, Rick Denis. And I'll have to introduce you to Rick as well. I'd like to meet him, ha- yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. And uh, Rick and I are both, uh, we, we gig together as well in the Somerset combo, but uh super guy and uh, incredibly talented writer. So I, I'm so glad that he's uh, doing the tunes for this podcast. So next week, it'll be six degrees of Beatlemania uh, coming your way. But uh, I thought today, you know, this is something uh, 
some of you know this, some of you may not, but I'm also a high school uh, band director, music teacher. And um, one of the things that I do uh, quite often at the end of a class uh, is, okay, what are your takeaways? What'd you learn today? So uh, Aaron, what was your, your biggest takeaway from today's conversation? Well, my biggest takeaway is I really enjoy doing this with you. This has been a, an absolute 100% pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of Beatles, I think I think I love the McCarty story about using, you know, the the, the, the guitar to, to uh, break out of his shyness and John encouraging to do that um, kind of, again, for the song Michelle, which I, you know, it's a classic song off Rubber Soul and, and um, it's a great story. So that that's my takeaway, that even someone is, you know, who I hold up on such a pedestal as Paul McCartney, you know, he gets nervous too and shy. So there you go. Yeah, I think uh, my takeaway was that uh, story about Love Me Do and the 170 albums in Canada. That, that's a that's a great fact. <laughs> and you said you have one of those, do you? I, I, very quickly, I can tell you how I got it. When, yeah, yeah. When I, was a, when I was a kid, there was a family living down the street and they went away on a vacation and they asked me to feed their cat for a week. So I was, you know, crazy at the time, still am. And when they got back, they said, well, instead of us giving you money, we have some Beatle records for you. And one of them was the Love Me Do single. Oh. <laughs> the guy says, he was an older he was an older guy. And he goes, you know, I'm not big, big. I don't like these guys. I never listened to this record anyways. And Tony, it's in mid condition and I've kept it that way since I was eight. So there you oh, go. That's a great story. <laughs> And so that's our episode for today. Uh, yeah, Aaron, I really enjoyed this as well. And I think uh, this is going to be a great partnership. Uh, so thanks so much for uh, agreeing to co-host. Um, awesome to have you on the show. And I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of the season. And for those listening out there, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, uh, one of the biggest things you can do is spread the word, you know, spread the gospel, as they say. Um, let your friends and family know, um, share our posts on uh, social media whenever we release a new episode and uh, subscribe as well. If you feel like leaving a rating or a review, uh, that's excellent as well. So until next time, on behalf of uh, Rick Denis and uh, all of us here, because we're a team now, which is pretty amazing, actually. I'm, uh, I'm so excited that uh, it's a team now and not just a, a solo show. Uh, so on, on behalf of all of us, here we go. We practice this too. So let's see how this goes. <laughs> Ready? Yep. Stay safe. Be well. And see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Stewie Tune Show. Follow us on social media or visit us online at stewietunes.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to click subscribe.